know that the amazing work that Starfish are doing in Pakistan, and we look forward to hearing about it uh, in detail now uh, from Mike. And just bless him as he shares with us. And pray as well for Peter and Anna as they come. We pray for both Peter and Anna and Mike that everything you have put on their hearts to share, you bring it to mind, and that they would just uh, feel your spirit within them, just guiding them and what you've put on their hearts to share with us this morning. So we just thank you for them. Thank you that brought them back to us here. Uh, we hope they've felt part of our MCF family mm. this morning as we come to worship you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, well, thank you very much. Uh, I was here last, just a year ago, last October. It's been quite a year for us. I want to say that... Um, my links with uh, our links with um, or my links with Mount Sandal Christian Fellowship go back way beyond most of your attendance here. Uh, when I first met Arthur Williamson in Trinity College, Dublin, 1962, that's 57 years ago. How many of you are over 57? Don't put your hands up. <laughs> but uh, and I came to Christ through a through the Christian Union through Stephen Etches, who was a member of the European Christian of the ECM, and is still going strong. And uh, Tom Moore, right sitting in the back seat, uh, was in Trinity's terms. He was my wife for a year, and Stephen Etches was my wife the previous year. So I've had several wives during my lifetime. And uh, and and Arthur was our next door neighbour. I was twenty six, and he was twenty. Seven or twenty-eight, and we came to know Arthur. So it goes back a long, a long, long way. My links with uh, with with Operation Mobilization. Some of you know OM. Has George Furwell spoken here? Yes. He has. George just he's a he's a great supporter of what we are doing now. He just gave us two thousand pounds for toilets. You think George Furwell just gives money for books? George just give us gave us money for toilets in Christian schools in Pakistan. So thank the Lord for George. We are our close neighbors with George. Um, so our links, uh, and, and we were here a year ago. I'm very grateful to Arthur for, um, well, just for his fellowship and the encouragement that he's been to us over many, many years and been to many of you. Um, I, I brought a little uh, video with me, which will probably introduce our work in Pakistan. Is it not working? Why is it not working? You have something wrong with your machine. We won't show that. We won't show that. Um, it was just a little video that I made when I was in Pakistan a month ago. I came back from Pakistan two weeks ago, and uh, we spent three weeks there. Um, I don't know if you remember, a year ago, Ansar Javid, our, our, the Pakistan director of Starfish Pakistan, was, was here and uh, we just spent three weeks with him, together with the new chief executive officer of Starfish Asia. Our board has just gone through a process and appointed a new director. They think that I'm getting too old, and so they are replacing me. And we were together, his first visit to uh, Pakistan. His name is Duncan Stonehouse. I hope sooner or later he will come here. Duncan has been in the petrochemical industry for 30 years or so, he's younger than me, 30 years younger than me, and, uh, and he, this was his first time in, in, um, in Pakistan, but um, that has been quite a step for, for him, as quite a step for us, as Duncan has taken over. A year ago, um, some of you may 
know that uh, Mount Sandal Christian Fellowship gave us a fairly large gift for our work, and uh, and I brought with me a report of how that gift was has been spent. It was uh, highly appreciated, and we asked, we we proposed to 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 you to support ten schools to support essential. Um, um, equipment and so forth to set up to 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 establish to improve uh, ten uh, Christian schools in Pakistan with with school furniture with an extra classroom with uh, with with um, uh, fans with electricity with whatever uh, running water school furniture school books Bible curriculum books and so forth and I just want to talk about one of those. Um, one of those schools, uh, I've got a number of copies. I hope the elders will all get a copy of this report, and anybody else would like it, um, be very glad to, to give it to you. There's still a little bit of that money left over, but most of it has been spent. But our connection with, uh, with, with Mount Sandal goes back uh, a year ago when we were here. We went to visit, I'm not going to talk politics, but a member of Parliament, a member of the Westminster Parliament, of the DUP, Jim Shannon. Any of you know Jim Shannon? Deathly silence there. <laughs> but Jim Shannon went with a parliamentary group to Pakistan last year, September 2018. And he visited Islamabad and um, together with a number of other people that we know. And... Uh, answer our director and I went to visit Jim in his constituency office a year ago. Tom Moore was with us. And we talked about his visit to Pakistan. He went to Islamabad and uh, they took him. We were not involved in that visit. But he was taken to a slum outside Islamabad called Rimsha Colony. Now Rimsha was a young Christian girl who had been accused of blasphemy about five or six years ago. And she was arrested, and blasphemy is a serious charge in Pakistan. But Rimsha was a 16-year-old, 13, young, young girl, and she was finally released, and she left the country. Uh, but the Christians from her community felt unsafe living where they were, so they moved into this colony on the outskirts, western outskirts of Islamabad, which is Pakistan's capital. And Jim and his parliamentary team visited this colony, and Jim was very emotional. He's an emotional man. You can, uh, you can watch him on television if you want to see how emotional he's been. He always talks about Jesus in Parliament, which is very impressive. But um, he was very emotional about that and the state of the, state of the Christians in that, in that slum colony. And he said, we said to him, Jim, if we, well, next time we go to Pakistan, we will go to Rimsha Colony in Islamabad. And we will see the state of the Christians there, and we'll see if, they, if, if, if there's any Christian school, if we can help establish a Christian school in Rimsha Colony. So I was in Pakistan with Ansar in February, and we went, we went to Islamabad, and we visited Rimsha Colony. Rimsha Colony is a very run-down area, uh, no proper streets, uh, sewage in the streets, rubbish and simple houses, simple housing, it's a poor area, and it's, it's 99% Christian, nominally Christian. Lots of churches, no schools that we could find. So we went around knocking on doors, looking for a Christian school. We were asking people in the street, 
is any, are there any Christian schools here? And nobody seemed to know of a Christian school. Then we came, I was standing outside a shop. Ansa was talking to the shopkeeper. And this old, old man with a, with a, with a turban and big beard came, <laughs> put his arms around me. He was Punjabi. He was only Punjabi speaking. I didn't understand what he was saying very well. But he put his arms around me and he hugged me. And I said to him, is there any Christian school in this area? And he looked me in the eye and he put his finger up and he said, and he pointed to a doorway in the wall next to the shop. And uh, we went over to the doorway, we pushed the door open and inside was a courtyard, simple courtyard, simple home, and about 10 children sitting on the, on the, on the ground with, uh, with books open in front of them. And this lady was teaching them in, this, in, in her courtyard, in her home. We went in, to cut a long story short, her name was, her name was, was uh, Sweeter, Mrs. Sweeter Zane. And Sweeter, that's an easy, to re- easy name to remember, Sweeter. And uh, we said to her, um, we asked her about schools and so on, she said, I have a passion for education, for our community, for our people. There's no Christ- Christian school here. She had tried to start a Christian school, she didn't have any money or any help and couldn't get school fees so she closed her school she said I'm passionate for education to give education to our community and that's what she was doing she'd invited some kids into her home and she was teaching them she had a BA degree she was qualified and uh, over the last year we've developed a relationship our, our office in Pakistan has developed a relationship with, with Sweeter and her husband they attended a teacher training workshop in July that we were, was run by Starfish Pakistan. And uh, to cut a long story short, um, Sweeter and her husband, Zen, uh, opened the Risen Hope School in Rimsha Colony last month. I, we visited about three weeks ago. We visited the school. Very simple. They've, uh, thanks to the Mount Sandal Christian Fellowship Grant, um, we have provided, we have uh, rented a, better, a slightly larger building, still too small, but slightly larger, three or four rooms. Um, had it painted, had it decorated, provided school f- furniture, and basic, basic, very basic uh, elements of a school. We've provided school books, we've given them uh, 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 Bible curriculum books, so they'll be teaching the Bible to their children. And the school has begun with 25 students. It will grow very quickly because once it becomes known. And that is just one of the, one of the newer schools that we have been able to um, equip and, uh, and open and provide for over the last year. And that comes from, so there's your connection with Mount Sandal, Northern Ireland, Jim Shannon, the DUP, and Islamabad. And this one more school, it's one of about 50 schools that we are now trying to support or supporting and raising the standards and giving hope to. Very heavy on our agenda over this last year has been teacher training uh, for, for teachers who've never had any training before, most of them not qualified, most of them with very little understanding how to teach, but we've been going through, uh, our, our folk in Pakistan have been going through teacher training workshops. And I could go on and on, but I'm sure that... Peter and Anna. It's very nice to meet Peter and Anna after about 20 or 30 years. And uh, I remember the name, I remembered the face, but when we last met 30 years ago, 25 years ago, 
<laughs> I had a little more hair in those days. But here's a list of the schools that you have supported. There's a Solomon School in Yonsonabad, Sunrise School, the Ambrose Foundation School, Education School System in Gujranwala, Harvest Model School, Faisalabad, Krishma Education Academy, North Karachi, Hope Public School, Karachi, Ames Public School, Gujranwala, the Little Angel Public School. Wouldn't you like to be educated in the Little Angel Public School? In Kasur, it's in a, in a town close to the India border. And the Risen Hope School in Rimsha Colony, Islamabad. That's our newsletter. You can read a little bit. I think there's, a, there's an interview with Sweeter Zen on the back page of this newsletter. I'll put some copies out at <coughs> the back there if you'd, like to, if you'd like to read that. And there is the introduction to our new CEO, Duncan Stonehouse, and his wife, Jenny. And you can take that away with you if you like. Let me just pray for Pakistan, if I may, if you could lead us in prayer, and then I'll hand over to Peter. Father, we thank you that your, your kingdom is worldwide. And you're building your kingdom in communities, some hidden communities, some desperately poor, some extraordinarily rich. But you love everyone anyway. And we thank you for what together we have seen you do. Uh, in some of these neglected and often forgotten communities in Pakistan. We commit especially Sweeter Zain and her husband and the, and the children of the Risen Hope School. We thank you for the way you led us to that, to that lady and to that, that place, be with her father and her family, and we pray for the school that it will become a beacon of light, a beacon of hope for the, for the uh, Christians of, of, of um of the uh, Rimsha colony uh, outside Islamabad. Thank you, Lord, now for what you're doing in our lives and our, the connections you, you've made to bring us together to this place. And we pray for your blessing upon uh, Christian witness across Pakistan, blessing on what Peter is going to share with us now from your word and from his own experience, maybe a little bit of Pakistan as well. And thank you for... The fellowship, Mount Sandal Christian Fellowship for Arthur and all those who uh, worship in this place and our worship goes to you who alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, and good morning everyone and uh, great to be back again. I think, again, it was a year ago that we were, right about a year ago in November, that we were here uh, last, and it's good to see a lot of familiar faces and some unfamiliar faces as well. Hope to get to know you. Now, I have a link between what Mike has shared about Asia and what we will share about Europe, and it's a little video, and the question I'm asking is, where do you think this worship service is being held? And secondly, what's the language that they're singing in? And Mike is not allowed to answer. Thank you. 
Okay, well, where do you think that's... That's actually taking, will be taking place today as well at this time of the morning. Any... Europe? A Europe, yes, good. Good for a start. <laughs> anywhere, anywhere closer into Europe? Yeah? Belfast? Belfast, no. Dublin? Dublin, no. Athens? Athens, no. Portugal? Yes, Portugal. Come on. Lisbon. Where in Portugal? Lisbon, exactly. It's in Lisbon. And uh, <clears throat> it's just a link that, in a sense, of what God is doing. That group, like 40 or 50... Nip- What's the language? <laughs> dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, they're Nepali Christians. And it's just amazing. It's, it's part of God's wonderful work. And I actually want to get right into a Bible reading. And I've chosen from Ephesians because John Mark said you're doing Ephesians. But don't worry, it's not a replay of stuff you've already done. I'll start in Ephesians chapter 3. But we'll go on into Acts and hop around a bit, uh, and Anna will come up in the middle as well. So Ephesians chapter 3, and it's one simple word of Paul that I want us to focus on that appears in this chapter, the first part of this chapter, four, five times I think it is, uh, and that word is mystery. Verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 3, surely... You have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in the generations as it is now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. And let's read that. The Nepalis are heirs together with the Portuguese. The Irish are heirs together with the Pakistanis. Members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's that verse 10 which for me is my reason for being involved in mission and my reason for being involved with the church because the church and church planting is at the heart of what European Christian mission does in Europe. And I read it again. His intent was that now through the church and through a Christian standing up in a rugby field and holding up a cup and looking to the heavens through his life, the wisdom, the manifold, the multifaceted wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms 
The angels and demons. Some, somebody shared earlier about the angels. I think it was Tim who said about the angels looking on. And not just the angels, but the, the powers of hell and of Satan look on at what God is doing in his church, in his worldwide church. And so the church is at the center. It's at the center of the epistle to Ephesians. It's at the center of the gospel. That, um, and our role in that, together with Paul and the apostles, is to disclose, unfold the mystery. Not close it in, not hide it behind traditions, uh, uh, but to unfold it. it was, it's hidden, it's been hidden. Uh, in the run-up to Jesus' coming. There's indications of it in the Old Testament. But here, Paul says, it's been made known. It's open. It's available. And so for me and for us, being involved in missions is being involved in that unfolding of the mystery of God's wisdom through extending the church, through evangelism, and deepening the church through disciples. There's no point having a, a great mass of people who, who confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord if they're not living it out in their lives. You have to both preach and proclaim and declare and win souls, but you also have to walk with them, disciple, mentor, so that the living church is indeed reflecting the wisdom and glory of God in the world. And sadly, in so many situations, that's not the case. Uh, the, the unfolding is not happening. The revelation of the glory of God is not happening because of the carnality and infighting and so on. And so that's where I want to start from. We've been in Portugal now 12 years. can't believe that, really. Uh, and 10 of those years, I've been leading the, the team that we have there. One family you, some of you have met, uh, many of you have met, um, Carlos and Anna Freitas and the three lovely children who think the last time was earlier this summer. Carlos came over and, and spoke to you. And uh, in fact, Mike's given away that our background has been in Asia. We served in Pakistan before uh, we, we moved to Portugal. And uh, if we were going logically, we should be then moving to another country beginning with P. However, we're not. We're moving to another, Greece. But we'll get on to that in a minute. But just to say that in our intent all of those years, we have sensed and felt that it's this exact thing of being part of the unfolding of the mystery of the wisdom of God through his church. That, and it's a, I love that, just the, the idea of that verse, which is an idea of being in an arena, just like the, the World Cup rugby. You know, you're out there in the open, and, and the public's looking on, and the heavenlies are looking on, and the angels are looking on. And, and we, as a church, and the churches that we form and plant and support in other countries, together, we're declaring the glory of God. And so, after 12 years, well, after 10 years, two years ago, we began wondering what's next. And uh, for some next, some of our contemporaries, our, our age, next means packing everything up and saying, okay, it's, uh, we're done. Uh, it's retirement now. 
and we've never felt that. We've always felt there's a new season, and it's uh, Anna's going to share a little bit about the just the way God has led us towards thinking in terms of another country, and it's been a it's been a hard road, really, because and even when we've talked to other folks and they, we've shared what God has been saying to us, um, often it's been really um, you know you've learned Portuguese, you're doing well in Portugal. Surely it'd be more beneficial to the church in Portugal if you continued. And we had to grapple with that. Plus, leading a team, now we're 21 missionaries. Who's going to lead the team after you go? And those sort of questions. So we've been wrestling with that. And so, in a sense, the teaching, as we're going to look into Acts, is simply asking the question, what do you do when God gives you something that you don't exactly know what it in, is involved in it, but you know it's from God, and you want to be obedient to that. And so uh, that's where we're going to go with this. Tim Keller, we listened to a talk of his, and he shared in this talk how when he and his wife went to Manhattan, Tim Keller is the minister of a big a Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, and of course a writer of many books, a great speaker, a great Bible teacher, a great apologist. He said at that time, people asked him, how do you know God's leading you to Manhattan or what you're going to do there? And he said, we don't. We're going because we feel God is leading us, but we have no idea what we will do there. And that made me, me and Anna feel quite, quite at ease. We thought, oh, well, if he was able to do that and not uh, know exactly what's ahead, then, then surely we can do that. So Anna, will you come up and share a little bit about our story? Hi, my name is Anna. And um, for some of you who don't know, but always want to know my background, very briefly, um, <clears throat> I was born in Kenya, but my parents came from Goa, which is on the west coast of India, and I was converted <clears throat> from Roman Catholicism in Kenya in a boarding school, and then my family moved over to England, and I met Peter in Bible College, then we went to Pakistan, where we were there for 18 years, came back to Northern Ireland, were here for seven, eight years, and then when our youngest child was ready for university, we felt ready to move on, and we went to Portugal, where we've been for 12 years. And if you had asked me a year ago, well, Anna, <clears throat> Would you like to just, um, you know, pack up your bags and go back to your base, maybe Northern Ireland or so? I would have said yes, because we've been doing missions for a number of years. But, you know, God's ways are not our ways. God's plans are not our plans. And our story goes back to about two years ago when we took a number of young Portuguese uh, leaders, or potential leaders, to a European leadership conference. And on the last day, <clears throat> half an hour before the conference was about to end, one of our Portuguese friends introduced me to a girl called Luciana, who was Portuguese. And she said, 
Anna, Luciana lives in Athens. She's facing burnout. Would you be able to help her? I literally met Luciana for about half an hour, and I said, yes, I'm willing to do that. And so through Skype and phone calls and a visit, um, she was able to get back on track into her ministry, which was quite vital. She was doing two things, running a, a safe house for trafficked women and working among the gypsy or Roma people. And in my relationship with her, she kept saying, Oh, Peter and Anna, I think God is calling you to Athens. And I thought, she's mad. You know, (laughs) this is no way I'm going to Athens. Um, Athens is what I call a a harsh city. Lisbon is what I call a soft city. Please don't ask me to define that. But that's... um, and it was just there, she'd say, are you sure you're not being called to Greece? And we're going, no, no way. We, God has called us to Portugal. But a year and a half ago, we began to feel that we were moving into a new season of our lives. And very often when you're moving into a new season and there's change coming, you feel uncomfortable. You don't want to move out of your comfort zone and you know the people, you have relationships, you begin to feel effective in your ministry. And I thought, oh my goodness, I don't really want to move. But God worked in us, and really, with a group of people, we began to pray and felt that God was leading us to Greece. Now, it may be exciting to some, but it is going to be challenging. We have to learn a new language we have to make new relationships. And let me tell you, when, as you grow older, you prefer to keep your, the relationships you have because it takes a lot of energy to build new relationships. We have to find our way. We, have to, we don't have an apartment. We don't know where we're going to live. But you know, in all of this, there's just one word that I want to use, and that's obedience. We're only doing it because we want to be obedient to what God wants us to do and where he wants us to go. Okay? Thank you. And I realize I probably didn't introduce myself well at the beginning, did I? And say, okay, somebody said at the coffee break, oh, Crawford, did your father have a shop in the diamond? And, oh, yes, that's long gone, but yes, I am a boy, a Korean boy. Our home church is First Coleraine Presbyterian, and uh, yeah, we've been around a while, so, um, and uh, married Anna and everything. Um, what I want to do is look at this whole question of how does God guide, kind of pulling out from the Ephesians passage for uh, a bit, uh, but let's just go back to that verse again in, in Ephesians 3, that this um, wondrous thing that God's creating, this church is described as the manifold wisdom of God is made known. And when we look sometimes at our church, we think, well, really? Um, but that, that word manifold, now it's multifaceted, is a more closer to the original. But actually, I'm not a car mechanic, but anybody who is will tell me what a manifold is. It's a sort of piece of equipment that you have in your exhaust system. It pulls... 
all the fumes from the different cylinders together. Is that, am I right? And funnels them into the exhaust. Uh, close enough, Chris. <laughs> but that, that is sort of the, the picture of the church. And I'm getting that more and more, having moved from Asia and working in Europe, in the way that God is enriching his church through combining streams of church together, like the Nepali church in Lisbon and the Portuguese church in Coimbra that Carlos and Anna are leading. Now we don't see them together. They're very much in separate streams. A Portuguese person coming off the street into that little basement in Lisbon listening to this Asian language and Asian music would not feel at home. Likewise, a Nepali agricultural worker going to Carlos's church and listening to Portuguese and singing would not feel at home. But I really believe in the joining together, even though we don't necessarily mean that we want one big church where everybody's different languages and everybody's different nations, but that we join and, and um, work towards the integration. We went out to Portugal not essentially to work with Asians. That was not even in our thinking. We went out to learn Portuguese, to work with the Portuguese. Only laterally that we first found some Pakistani Christian families and then through them, the Nepali Christian Church. And uh, one of the things that struck us as we went to um, visit Greece, and Anna's mentioned the, the connection with Luciana and her husband, Jorgis, but it is the rich new churches and worshipping groups in the Farsi language, in the Arabic language, and that's replicated right across Europe, mainly in the countries that have received large numbers of immigrants, Germany, Sweden, Denmark, Netherlands, France. And so there's this kind of manifold richness, this wisdom of God in what he's doing. And even though when we look at and when we remember the screen, our, our TV screens back in 2016, 2015, when the wave after wave of, 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 of boats were coming across the Aegean from Turkey and landing in Lesbos and the plight of those people and the deaths that happened and, the, and still happening, and you wonder where's God's wisdom in all of this. God's wisdom is working its way out through, through that. And so there's three elements to knowing the answer to how can I obey God when he's asking something of me and how do I discern his will for my life. And it's going to be very personal, but I just want to connect it in with, with how Paul specifically was led. And it, it does connect actually to our work in Lisbon, in fact, because we are part of a little Portuguese church plant there. And one of the things we, we've had is... Um, seen out of an alpha course, a little Wednesday evening uh, fellowship, prayer and Bible study, essentially, um, time together. And we've been following through the book of Acts and it's been amazing to see how relevant that early church meeting together around the breaking of bread and the, uh, the, apostles, the teaching of the apostles and the fellowship and then going out into the marketplace and sharing Jesus, how relevant it was to, the, to the, our experience there. Three elements. One, the person and the invitation, the individual and the invitation. Secondly, the city and the burden. 
And thirdly, the people and the promise. And I'm going to pick on something from Acts 16, Acts 17, and Acts 18. Acts 16, first of all, and it's all very, you, you know, you'll know this. If you know your Bibles, you will have heard this many, many times. But Paul, after a reasonable struggle in discerning what God wanted him and his, the, the band of apostles to do in the first few verses of chapter 16, he comes to Troas, edge of the Aegean uh, Sea, looks out, knows there's Greece, Macedonia and beyond Europe ahead of him. But it's not sure in his heart that this is the way that God wants him to take. He's already tried various uh, provinces along the way. And, and the interesting phrase is how the Holy Spirit kept them from entering Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus moved them on. And so here he is by, this, by the ocean in the port city. And a vision comes to him in the night. A man from Macedonia calling Come over and help us. And that's the first, that's very prosaic, very practical. Obviously, it's pretty special. It came in a vision. It wasn't actually a physical man who knocked on the door. Uh, so there was a certain speciality about it. But it was simply that invitation to come over and help us. So for Paul, as a man from Macedonia. For us, it was a, a girl from Portugal and her husband, who's actually a Greek Cypriot. So a man from Cyprus, you might say, said to us, Come over and help us. Or in Georges's words, he said to me, it's not about whether you'll come or not. It's about when you'll come. So, yeah, they're pretty blunt. Um, so we have this invitation, first of all. It's not just a personal one, though. It is an invitation to us as a mission. Um, for two years now, ECM, European Christian Mission, have been thinking and praying about Entering Greece, starting a work in Greece, or rather restarting it. We used to have several decades ago personnel in Greece, but recently none. And essentially, with our leadership in the mission, it was seeing the two, the twin crises that the country has faced in the last decade: the financial crisis on the one hand, and then the refugee crisis. There's double whammies, if you like. And so, I was part of the leadership team that went over. And Anna went to, uh, to Athens to September 2016 and we met with Greek church leaders. We prayed with them. And what inspired us, what excited us was to see this Greek evangelical church, which is 0.3% of the population. It's very, very small, much on the par of Portugal, maybe even smaller than Portugal in terms of numbers um, of evangelicals, really rising to the challenge of reaching out, caring, showing compassion of Christ, setting up uh, food kitchens, having putting centres where people who are homeless, people who are refugees could come in, have a shower, uh, have a free um, shop for clothing, second-hand clothing and so on. And they're really taking on their shoulders the burden that had come their way that God had put in front of them. One of the Pastors said to us, we rediscovered as a community, as an evangelical community, we rediscovered our compassion. And he said it was a revolution for us to realize that God wanted us to, to reach out in this way. And they, so they as a church, as a denomination, are saying to us, come over and help us. 
So that's the first thing, is recognizing that there is an invitation. And so over the last two years, we as a mission, our leadership have been thinking, well, who should go and uh, set up, in a sense, the foundation? And we offered ourselves, nobody asked us, and nobody kind of commanded us to go, but we offered ourselves to be that, uh, in a sense, setting the foundation. As Anna has said, there's nothing already there. We have one uh, a girl from Netherlands is with the mission. We have another young couple that we mentioned, uh, Georgis and Luciana, uh, currently applying to, to be with the mission. Um, so it's really starting from scratch. And so our prayer is that the Lord will help us to be create that safe space for people to be able to come and serve and be, you know, other missionaries from other countries and serve alongside the, the Greek evangelical churches in planting new churches, in discipling, in caring for the needy, and, and all of that. So the, the voice, the first thing in, in the kind of guidance principle, if you like, is listening out for the invitation that comes your way. And, you know, sometimes it'll come your way, it'll blindside you, uh, like it did for Paul, who wasn't expecting come over to Macedonia and help us uh, and sometimes something will happen even in, during the course of a week you know the impetus the Holy Spirit in us the, the, the Lord saying to us I want you to do this I want you to sp- speak to this person I want you to go visit this person and we sort of think why uh, what, what good can I do I'm not right choose somebody else but we need to be as Anna said obedient obedient to follow the second element in our personal walk in discovering that God wanted us to do this is in, reflected in chapter 17, and we come right down to where Paul goes to Athens, chapter, verse 16. And to paint the background, after they went over by boat to Macedonia and first planted a church in Philippi, which is the rest of chapter 16, then they went on to Thessaloniki, Thessaloniki, and I already am saying it in the Greek pronunciation, but it should be Thessalonica. How do you say it in English? Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Sorry, but they'll say it in Thessaloniki, because that's what they say in Greece. So, um, um, discovered, uh, had a lot of opposition, and were driven out, moved to the next city of Berea, and even there they were received well, but the Thessalonians came over and caused trouble, and so Paul's life is always in danger. And the striking thing about little verse 16 in chapter 17 of Acts, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, or right just before that, the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. And while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. So it's almost incidental that Paul happens to be in Athens. Well, it is the capital city, and it would be an obvious place to try and go if you were in trouble and trying to get uh, get away from the Thessalonians. But here, he was waiting for them in Athens. Uh, and sometimes it's in those circumstances that God opens up his heart to our hearts, his concern for the people. And so the second thing, the first thing, as a person and an invitation. The second thing is a city and the weight or the burden. And that's what I find in this passage where Paul 
waiting for them in Athens, it says he was greatly distressed or provoked. He was hit in his gut with what he saw to see the city full of idols. He wandered around and it must have been very striking for Paul. I mean, he was a city, an urban man. He uh, from Tarsus, and he'd been in Antioch, so his, this wasn't, he wasn't a country bumpkin, this wasn't something new to him. But to be, in, in a sense, the heart of civilization, Athens, and to encounter the Stoics and the Epicureans and all the philosophers, and to hear the dialogue, and to see, in a sense, and what comes across in this passage of Athens, is, passage of, of Acts, is the, the kind of almost the entertainment factor of sitting around discussing new ideas. Um, uh, In verse 18, a group of Epicureans and Stoics began to dispute with them. Some of them asked, what's this babbler trying to say? So can you imagine Paul having encountered the living Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road? And here he is with these erudite professors looking at him and saying, ah, he's a, he's a babbler from Judea, you know, what's he got to say? Some new gods, some new ideas, let's listen to him. And now he steps into that with this weight on his shoulders, this burden, this compassion for those who were, in a sense, lost. He says, look, I've been around the city, and yes, you are, uh, you're a very religious people, uh, you've got idols to every every known thing you could have an idol for, a statue for, even that you've got this idolish shrine to the unknown God, which is a kind of like a little insurance policy in case we missed one or missed something out. Well, let's put up a statue to the unknown God to make sure we set offerings to this one. Paul says, that unknown God, I, I, I know, and I'm going to declare him to you. And then launches into this amazing uh, sermon, speech, which is wonderfully contextual. Shows a man who clearly knew the culture and drew from it. He mentions their poets. He says, uh, 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 later in, 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 in verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offering, offspring, and is aware of their religious context. We're aware of their agnosticism, because that, in a sense, the unknown God is the God of agnosticism. That's the actual Greek word there. Um, aware of their, the gaps in their knowledge that he is able to fill, even though, and as he mentions in Corinthians, it's a stumbling block for the Jews, it's foolishness. For the Greeks, and so for these Greeks, talking about a savior, a, a Jewish rebel who was executed on the cross and it was reported to have risen again after three days, They're talking about this as he's, he's the king of the universe, he's the lord of all being, and he can meet your every need. It is foolishness, it's like somebody babbling. Um, but Paul, God had put a weight upon. Paul's heart, a burden, that word that in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, the prophets often, they say, the burden of the Lord for Assyria, for Egypt, for Judah, for Israel, the burden, it's a heaviness. 
And I suppose that's the second aspect of Anna and my direction. Um, yes, we have appreciated and loved working in Portugal and love the Portuguese colleagues. And uh, one of my big concerns at the moment is the transition of leadership. And I would ask your prayer as we are not planning to go to Greece until next year after Easter. And this period we're uh, looking to see a transition of new leadership. Our team is growing. We have 21 people. We are receiving four new families uh, in the coming year. And uh, so we are looking to see who has God got for leadership. I believe that Carlos will be part of that um, pattern. And I really would encourage you to continue to pray for Carlos and Anaphritis and get behind them and support them. I, I, God has his hand upon that young family. Uh, it's lovely to see young Portuguese rising up to the challenge. And so, uh, but that is part of our concern going forward. But we do, we have in our visits to Athens sensed a great burden from the Lord. Two aspects that personally hit us most. One, Anna's in terms of uh, member care or pastoral care for uh, Christian workers. As is often the case in a crisis-hit region, um, especially small NGOs and organizations rise up to help and recruit workers, but often don't make a lot of provision for their own care, or uh, there's such a strong work ethic, we need to be doing, we need to be out there, we need to be helping, that uh, Greece has a very high Attrition rate, if you understand what I mean by that, in terms of the percentage of people who don't stay, who come back, or who, who are not able to continue. And so one of that, what's one area of concern that God would use us to help with, in a general sense, we're not exactly sure how this will work out, but help with a general caring for the needs and spiritual, emotional, uh, and well-being of Christian workers Greek and expat. And that is something we really are praying that God will open that up. The other side of it, my side, my burden, if you like, is for these small fellowship groups growing up uh, in, in Farsi, in Arabic. I speak neither language. Plus there's, a, as I understand it, 30,000 Pakistanis from an earlier generation who were Im- immigrated to Greece uh, because of the shipbuilding industry. I've yet to meet, but I'm just, again, we're seeking the Lord, not yet knowing exactly how he's going to lead us, but prepare to obey, a bit like Tim Keller, uh, going to Manhattan, not sure what's going to happen when he moves to Manhattan. Um, So that's the second element, and how does that relate to us all here? Well, I believe that God gives burdens, God gives a weight for a place for a district of cold rain, maybe. And uh, I talked to John Mark earlier this week, and he said that as you grow, you are looking out beyond the confines of the Sandal Centre and looking where will you, where, where would God put on your hearts? And so just being open and being aware and conscious and culturally, con- contextually conscious also, like if it is another area... What will that look like? How would we do church there? It would not look like what it is here, and that sort of thing. Um, exactly what Paul was doing when he spoke to his Athenians. He didn't even mention 
Jesus was the son of David and Abraham and Isaac and all that because it wouldn't meant anything for Greeks. Um, they, they hadn't got that in their culture. So he used, he adapted his language to fit the context. Um, or even an individual. God puts on your heart to speak to someone in your workplace, to visit someone in your family. And you don't, you kind of wonder, where did that come from? But you know it's, in, it's, it's a concern and you're, you're heavy and your, your, your prayers are, you know, always about that. Act upon it. Obey. Follow. Because it comes from him. It comes from the Lord. And the third little kind of, if you like, indication of leading is the people and the promise. And we're moving on from Acts into Corinth, um, Rome, um, Athens into Corinth for chapter 18 uh, and verse 9 and 10. I'll leave, this is the one I want to leave with you because I, I believe it's very significant um, when we're embarking on a new work and as we think about Athens, as we think back to how the Lord led us to the district of Parkes and Science in Lisbon, in 2007, and where we saw a small church planted. So Paul is struggling again in Corinth with, this, with the godless situation, with the antagonism, with the attacks. And one night in verse 9, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. Personal presence. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have many People in this city. Paul hadn't even really started evangelizing or church planting. I have many people in this city. And that's a great encouragement to anyone who's embarking on new work or even continuing in a, in a work that, that God has people. And it's not so much that we have to go out, knock on the doors and, and, and you know, proclaim and, uh, and make Christ known. We just need to encounter those people that God has already got and is already working in their hearts. And if there was time, we could sort of talk about examples of that. Um, a woman from Syrian Iraq, Syrian Iraqi Kurdistan, uh, who Anna helped Luciana at a time, a critical time in her life. She'd come overland over Turkey with two little boys and arrived in Athens homeless on the streets of Athens in the late, late stages of pregnancy because she'd been raped along the way. And uh, we, it was just on one of our visits and, and uh, uh, we were able to help in some way through the extremely complex process of uh, undocumented immigrant refugee on the streets of Athens getting her into the health system, making sure that the care system didn't immediately take her boys away from her and offering some kind of help. And, and, but that was just somebody that God brought along our paths. And the people in the city that God has that he wants us to encounter. So as we kind of come to a conclusion First of all, I'd, I'd ask you to pray for us. It's, uh, as Anna, I hope you've recognised the vulnerability. We're not like great heroes. That okay, as Peter and Anna, veteran missionaries, this is just a new. It'll be a breeze for them. No, no, it won't be a breeze. 
learn and by the way, if you know New Testament Greek, it doesn't help uh, when you go to Athens. I mean, you will get excited when you go out the airport and you see Exodus. Oh, yes, that's the way out. Okay. And then you go in the metro downtown and you pass through the metro station called Evangelismo. Okay. We're in the right place. Uh, but you also go to a district of the city that's called Exarchia, which for you Greek scholars means what? Anarchy. And literally is a, an area of lawlessness right in the heart of Athens, and that's very much in the heart of where a lot of the refugees end up uh, and find themselves. Um, but yes, please pray for us. We are looking also to create a enlarge our support team, um, being as we've been along the road a while, uh, a number of our financial supporters have had to stop giving, and so we do need to increase that. If you would like to be part of our prayer and support team, please see us afterwards. I would like to mention that there, is a, there are a couple of home meetings this week um, for any who would like to hear more about what we are hoping to do and about uh, what we need in order to, uh, for that to happen. One is tomorrow night, Monday night, in Heather Hamilton's home in Port Stewart, 20 Ackerton Road. The other is on Saturday morning, uh, after the prayer breakfast, and when you've had your fill, at 11 o'clock in Martin Holly's house in 13 Queen's Park, Cold Rain. I have wee um, pieces of paper with those details, so if you would like that and you'd like to go to either Port Stewart or Cold Rain, love to be able to share a little bit more. Or if you want to um, be a regular supporter, please also, I've got uh, information about that. So I think we're going to, the, the worship team are coming to come up, I'm going to pray. But let's just go back to that um, where we started. And uh, Ephesians 3 and that wonderful verse. And think about, well, what does that mean for me? It's all grand to talk about the church in the arena and being um, uh, displaying the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God before they in the, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms and, and, and this idea that we're out there and we've been told to do our bit as a church and everyone's looking on, the public are looking on, the previous heroes who've gone before are looking on. Remember Hebrews 11, isn't it? We, we have this cloud, a cloud of witnesses, past, present and future. And we're out in the arena and... What does that mean for us personally? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means we have to watch the way we live our Christian lives. It means that we have to be a church that does reflect, indeed, the manifold wisdom of God, the glory of God, because of the way we relate to one another, because of the way we're ready to forgive and to receive forgiveness, because of the way we're ready to allow the other person to increase while we decrease and all those things that we hear from the pulpit and we read in the Bible but sometimes they just go over the tops of our heads because we're not prepared to obey we're not prepared to to go that step I know that word obedience it does sometimes sound very heavy oh good obey 
God tells us we've got to go, we've got to go with it, even though it's going to be difficult, even though it's going to be expensive, even though it's going to be a long time. In my Christian life, in Anna's Christian life, I'm sure in Mike and Sherson's Christian lives, there's never a time when obedience has not issued in joyful uh, appreciation of this wonderful God and Savior that we have. When we're in that walk with him, he is there holding our hand. When we are pushed out of our comfort zone, in a sense, the comfort zone moves with us because God is with us. Our comfort zone is with him. So even though it might be a different context, different language, no, it doesn't matter because we're there with him. He is with us. He is our uh, father, our guide, our teacher, our leader, and with us. And so let's come to prayer. And I will pray that uh, for you as a church, corporately, that you will know God's wisdom, the invitation, come over and help us, the burden of the Lord upon you, and the promise of his presence, and also individually, in whatever place you are at the moment, that God will help you and give you grace as you seek to obey him. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. Thank you, Lord, for the call that we feel, each one of us, that you're speaking to us. And even though we don't feel we're anything, we're not missionaries, we're not pastors, we're not leaders. But you have a place, you have a a role for us to, to do. You have somebody that you want us to engage with. Something you want us to do, help us, Lord. Give us grace to recognize, to discern what that is, and then go forward in faith, go forward in trust, and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.